You know, today we're launching into one of the chapters in Hebrews that is probably the most famous. Hebrews chapter 11 is often called the Hall of Faith because he just starts to go down this line through all of these people from history and tell us, by faith he did this, by faith she did that, by faith he did this, by faith she did that. And we often step back and see that as like this amazing picture of all the people I wish that I was like, you know? But what's really interesting about this chapter is that he is going to take just a whirlwind where people who have like chapters about them in the Old Testament get like one verse. And it's interesting as you track the people that he chooses, some of the names you'll know, guys like Abraham, Noah, Moses, people with global and far-reaching impact who, who we're still talking about today and everybody knows their name. But you'll also hear names like Enoch, Barak, Not that one. (laughs) See, you thought you knew. And Jephthah, like who are these people that he brings up in his one short chapter to tell you about all of the people who have believed the same promises about God that he's been sharing for the last 10 chapters. And so there's kind of this really neat thing that's happening in which he's telling you whether you have global impact or you're just like one little person that maybe nobody even really quite remembers you. Will you live your life by faith? Because the Jewish mindset really knows nothing of the concept that we sometimes trip into, which is like, mentally, I believe these things, and I don't know if it really affects my day-to-day or not. That's totally foreign to Hebrews and, and to the Jewish mindset. For them, it's all tied together. It's the same kind of thing the book of James says, that I'll show you my faith by my actions. That's how you know if I really believe that God is a rewarder, if I really believe that God is real, if I really believe that obedience matters, it's going to show up somewhere. So as we dive into this chapter today, what's uh, difficult but a lot of fun is we're going to look at Hebrews 11, chapter 1 through 7, which summarizes the first nine chapters of Genesis. So I'm just going to admit right now, I have to skip a lot of stuff (laughs) as we unpack this. And we told you last week, Chad mentioned to you this resource that we call Fast Track. Well, the reality is uh, Fast Track gives you a fantastic summary, kind of an overview of the Bible, key people, key themes, and shows you how all of it is built around the person of Jesus Christ. Hebrews 11 goes so fast, even Fast Track (laughs) has to leave out some of the things that Hebrews is just skimming over. And so some of those people won't be in here. Which means the other thing that you want to pay attention to as we go through this for the next few weeks is the written pathway guide that goes with every message that we do on weekends. So it's printed in your program like this every week, but you can also get this online. So both Fast Track and this pathway guide are available as a PDF online. And so when you find this, what it's going to show you at the bottom is how to read ahead. So this is last week's that I'm holding, and it tells you how to read Genesis chapter 1 through 9 to get all the nitty-gritty and the details of the people that we're talking about today. Because you'll notice as we go through this, when you look back at the stories of some of these people, some of these men and women, you read it from Genesis, you read it from Exodus, all of them made mistakes. Yet strangely, kind of like he said in chapters 8 and 10, remember God said, I will remember their sins no more? When Hebrews records them for us, What God remembers to us 
is not their mistakes, but their faith. So we're going to jump into chapter 11, but to do that, we're actually going to pull in one verse from chapter 10. So look at 1039 with me. It says, But we are not of those who draw back to perdition, but of those who believe to the saving of the soul. And then he rolls right into chapter 11. Remember, those chapter breaks are added just so we can find our place. But his thought keeps going. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it the elders obtained a good testimony. So what I want you to catch here is that word believe and that word faith. Those actually come from the same Greek root word, pistis. So what that means is, in in fact, even believe, it looks like a verb to us right there. The people who believe. But it's actually a noun in the Greek. They are the, the, the believing ones, the believers. That's where we get a word like that. That what he's saying is these are people whose lives are characterized by the fact that they believe God. So to keep the role, another way you could translate this is to say that, hey, we're of those who believe to the saving of the soul. Now, believing is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So what does that mean? Because this verse might be a little bit more familiar, and a lot of times we step back from this and think, okay, it's the faith, you know, and things not seen, like blind faith, right? Can't see it, don't know if it's real, not sure it's there, but you just got to believe. Well, there's a little something to that, but notice again, he says it is the substance of things hoped for. Substance is like the real stuff. And if you think about the way that he's used the word hope throughout this entire book, like if you can remember back to chapter 6, for example, he says we have this hope as an anchor for our souls. Remember we talked about that 20-ton anchor back in Hebrews chapter 6? That this is the idea that hope is not something I hope happens, but we'll kind of see. Hope means that it is guaranteed by God himself. Faith is the substance of hope. Faith is what happens in my life because I believe that's true. It's the evidence of things not seen. Although I have not seen the return of Christ yet, I am so confident that God means what he says, that it shows up in my life. That the way we live by faith becomes the substance and the evidence of the truth of those things. When we put it into action, just like the elders did. Now all he means by that phrase is people from history. Those who have gone before. Those who knew God before we were ever born. And what did it look like in their lives? And so the first thing for us, I think, in agreement with this text, what I want for you, by faith, understand things not seen. And that's not creative at all. I'm ripping that straight from the text. Because if you look at verse 3, it says, by faith, we understand. Isn't that good? That's where I found that. By faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. Okay, what? So there it is, Genesis 1 and 2. Two chapters of the Bible, all in one sentence. You just got it. This is him telling you about creation. Essentially what he has said is, we can actually understand it. You don't have to walk up to the Bible or walk into Horizon and turn off your brain and say, well, this is just a matter of faith. Now he's saying, by faith, we actually understand these things that are, like, impossible to understand. That by faith, if I believe that God really is who he says he is, that he really does what he says he does, 
then I can go back to Genesis 1 and 2. I can read the creation story. I can see how it describes that he brought everything from nothing and say, well, you know, if God is who he says he is, that actually makes sense. I can understand how everything that we can see, we can taste, we can touch, we can smell, is put there by God. When he uses that word, worlds, Greek gets to cheat like this. That one little word, worlds, indicates everything in the physical and the temporal. He's telling you God created the entire space-time continuum from unseen things. I love the way that Psalm 33 puts it. It says that he spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. Like when you read Genesis 1 in the Hebrew, like we, we always hear it, and God said, let there be light. Read it in the Hebrew. It's literally, and God said, light. And there was light. Because God wanted there to be light. That this is the power of the God that we read about in Hebrews. The power of the God who is making promises to you. That when you say, I believe, it's not in some vague thing that may or may not turn out. It's in the power of the God who created from unseen things. Now you're going to feel it how fast Hebrews is going through this stuff. Because wouldn't you like to hang out there for a little bit and ask a few questions about creation and how that works? And we don't have time today. (laughs) If only we could do like a whole series on that. Well, guess what? <laughs> Chad did. And so actually, I want to show you our app real quick, because if you haven't downloaded this yet, or, or if you prefer to use the website, it's on there too. When you pull up the teaching stuff, you can see in this bottom left corner, book by book. You click book by book, and it brings you over to this right panel, where you can see right at the top, Genesis. 46 messages out of Genesis. And the first batch of them is from a series Chad did a few years ago, exactly through those first few chapters in the creation story. So I'm going to tease you with that and say, hey, if you want to know more about that, you're going to have to do some homework. You're going to have to, uh, you're going to, have to check out the app or the website and flip back to those pages and read it. Because I think what he wants us to do, what, what, why Hebrews wants us to keep moving, is he's saying, all right, so if by faith I can understand things not seen, well, so what? And the so what comes with his next example in verse 4. He says, By faith, Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts. And through it, he being dead still speaks. Okay, so how does that follow from understanding the unseen things? Well, realize what he's doing is he's moving through the timeline of human history. So he describes creation. He skips Adam and Eve. And go straight to chapter 4 of Genesis, their son Abel. And I think the reason that he does this is just very practically speaking, Abel is one of the first, if not the first, who had to believe in something that he couldn't see. Because mom and dad would keep telling him, Oh, Abel, I wish you could have seen it. The garden was so beautiful. I I wish you could have known what it was like. To see God, to walk with him in the cool of the evening, in the shade of the garden. Oh, son, it was amazing. I long for those days. You can imagine Adam or Eve sitting with him, telling him how they wish they could get those days back, as now they feel like they can't see God anymore, but they used to just walk with him. But son, he told us. He told us he's going to send a fixer. He told us he's going to send someone who will overcome the evil that... 
your dad and I brought into the world. Son, in the garden, we never argued. We never had fights in the garden. Like, it was, life was so good back then. And Abel can't see it. And yet he believed. In fact, the story that we get of Abel, if you know anything about Abel, you know that Cain killed Abel. His whole life boils down to three words, and two of them are names. And what Hebrews is highlighting for us is there is something about Abel that he refers to as a better sacrifice, a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. So I'll let you go back and read Genesis, but the gist of it is that Abel brought God a sacrifice of animals, Cain brought from the fruit of the ground. Only that doesn't seem to be the problem. Because Hebrews has already told us the sacrifices don't really do anything. And later in the Old Testament, we see God accept animal sacrifices, and there are ways that he accepts fruit of the ground. So what's the difference? What made Abel's better? I think the answer that Hebrews is trying to show us is faith. Abel had a relationship with God. Because in that story, when Cain's sacrifice is rejected, he doesn't say, Lord, what's, what's wrong between us? What's, no, he gets mad at God, he gets mad at Abel, and he kills Abel. And what we see throughout the New Testament, the reason that it says that Abel, being dead, still speaks, is multiple times he is called to mind as an example of the difference between a person who has faith And a person who, as Hebrews has been warning us for ten chapters, is just doing the ritual. Right? That Cain would stand up and say, hey, I did sacrifices too, what gives? But it seems he didn't have relationship. He only had ritual. You see, and Hebrews has been careful to paint that picture for its audience and for us, that it's not about the ritual. It's not about the good works. It's not about how many times did you show up here or do that thing. That's not what gets us into relationship with God. Like Abel, it is by faith. I like how one commentator put it. He said that it's not only the value of the gift, it's the heart of the giver. And then he asked this question that, that you can ask yourself. Is my outward offer of worship, of ministry, of service a genuine expression of my love and commitment to Christ? Do I do what I do because I hope God pats me on the back or just because I love him? Because I hope then God won't get mad at me or because I hope people around me will see it or just just because I love Jesus after what he's done for me. That's the picture that he's painting for us here. And you notice in verse 4, it says that he gets this good testimony. But notice that it's God testifying. Okay, that's important because the second thing I want to give you today is by faith, obtain a righteous testimony. All right, so what does that mean? Because it would be easy to say, all right, how do I obtain it? That sounds like I got to work hard and I got to make the list and I got to follow through. And Well, here's what I want you to see. When God testifies about you, He speaks very differently than you might about yourself. In fact, the next person on here has something very similar to that happen because Enoch comes up next in verse 5. Now, Enoch is one of the ones you might not be as familiar with, but it says that he's got a testimony too. It says, By faith, Enoch was taken away so that he did not see death 
and was not found because God had taken him. For before he was taken, he had this testimony that he pleased God. Now, we often think of testimony as, you know, I tell other people what I believe about God, why I believe about God, how that's changed my life. And, and that's good. That's true. That, that is a testimony. You're testifying about God. But what I love about this is, like, all of Hebrews 11 is literally God testifying about these people. And what he says about Abel, he was righteous. What he says about Enoch, he pleased God. I mean, don't you start to just get this picture of like the proud father who's like, you know what? You know what I like about Abel? I'd love to tell you. You know what I like about Enoch? Man, did we have fun. You know, there's this picture of it's not, look at all the good deeds Enoch did. Look at all the, certainly it's there. But what pleased God about Enoch? Let's see. By faith, Enoch was taken away. So he's not seen death. He was not found. He was taken away. And he had this good testimony. It doesn't say anything that he did. Except by faith. Enoch believed God. Enoch believed who God was, what God said, that pleased God. And in some ways, it is just that simple. See, Enoch is one of these guys that we don't know as much about. We get a little hint of him in in the later book of Jude in the New Testament, where it's kind of trippy. It says that Enoch somehow knew that when Christ comes back, he's bringing the host of heaven with him. Well, guys, Enoch is like not that long after Abel. He's before Noah, before Abraham, before Moses, way before Jesus. How did he know that, and why don't we know more about Enoch? Like, could we please have— like, I have follow-up questions. But all he wants us to know here is by faith. In fact, when you go back to Genesis and read Enoch's story, it uses one phrase two times. Enoch walked with God. I was talking to Chad about this the other day, and, and I love the way he put it. This might even be in a Pathway video this afternoon, so I'm not stealing it. I'm just quoting him. <laughs> he said, you know, it's almost like God and Enoch were just hanging out. And God says, hey, as long as we're hanging out, you want to hang out at my place? He takes him home. Enoch never died. God just took him straight to heaven. That's kind of his, his little claim to fame in the book of Genesis. But what a beautiful picture, just like Abel, of relationship with God. A couple of years ago, I was talking to my friend Dave because he and I, I think, had both wrestled in similar ways with our understanding of God as we were growing up. Hung out around church, kind of just enough and had this picture that if God is a father, that means I'm always about to get in trouble when dad gets home, right? And so it's interesting because as, as Dave explained to me how his, I guess you could say his faith, his understanding of God had changed over time, he said that one of the breakthroughs from him was when he became a dad. And he started to really understand what it meant that God was his father. And he said there was a day that he was sitting on the floor and he's playing trains with his son. You know, son's like three years old or something. And, you know, Dave likes to think on kind of another level. So beyond the trains, which are only so entertaining for adults for so long, right? It's like, well, well, I'm think- I'll just think about this, you know? And he realized, for all of the mistakes that his son had already made, for all the mistakes his son could make in the future, there's nothing that would change the fact that that is his son. Just literally speaking, no matter what his son does or doesn't do, you're still my son. I'm still your dad. 
that no matter what the future holds, he knew, I love my son. And I want to encourage my son. And I want to be there for my son. And if we have a falling out, I want to reconcile with my son because that's my son. I love him. And as boring as trains are, this is fun. Because I just like hanging out with my kid. Of course, he couldn't explain all of that to his (laughs) three-year-old at the time. Which I kind of like. Because it didn't matter if the three-year-old fully understood it or not. It's still true. And for him, that was the breakthrough to realize that was true from God about him. Whether he fully understood it or not. To look at pages like this and realize, you know, it just pleases God to hang out with you. He likes that when you come talk to him. And for all the mistakes that you've made or you might make or anything that's gone well or gone wrong or, or you feel like when you're praying you're not supposed to say that or, or maybe I shouldn't pray because I'm still feeling this way. Or, and he's thinking, hey, I got the trains out. You want to play trains? Let's talk. Let's hang out. I want you to hear this because I think it's why he brings up specific people. God likes you. And for all the days of Abel's life, God picked one. For all the days of Enoch's life, God picked one to remind us of. For all the days of your life, there are moments that maybe you've even forgotten them that God just revels in. That God just delights to think about. Remember that time you you went and talked to that neighbor? You went and apologized to that person? And it was like really hard, but you talked to me and you're like, okay, God, I'll try to do it. You got to help me. Like, that was your faith. I love that. And I know they yelled at you, and I know they ignored you, and I know it doesn't always go well, but man, that was fun. I'm, I'm just so pleased. I'm putting that on the refrigerator. Great day. Good job. Right? And on the days we'll see in chapter 12 that it doesn't go well, he says, hey, let's do course correction. That's an important part of it, too. But I hope you hear as I describe that, that's a relationship. That's not like, come do my sacrifice and hope God is happy with it if he's even around here somewhere. And if he's not, then I fly off the handle. I guess totally different picture. This is relationship with God. Abel felt it. Enoch felt it. (laughs) My friend Dave. And he helped me understand it. And so it's really, it's really kind of crazy that of all the things to say about Enoch, he pleased God. And again, that's the testimony God gives about him. And now everybody's getting like one verse. Okay, so we're, we're going to get to Noah in a minute. Noah has like chapters of Genesis, one verse in Hebrews 11. And yet, he's willing to take a pause just before that in verse 6. Because he wants for you and I also, by faith, to please God. So if you're like me, I'm like, I appreciate how Enoch did that. My life probably won't be quite like his. How, how, what does that exactly look like? Well, check out verse 6. He says, but without faith, uh uh-oh, without faith it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. All right, so all this stuff, by faith, by faith, by faith, by believing, this is what it looks like. Without it, can I just be clear for a minute here? Without it, impossible. That's a good word. That's actually the word adunatos. Adunatos is where we get our word dynamite. It basically means power, like big power. You put the alpha in front of that, you add one letter, negates the whole thing. Lack of power, complete lack of power, 
What he's saying is, without faith, there is no other power available to you in your life, on the planet, in the universe, in the spiritual realm, anywhere. There is no power to please God except faith. Now think about what that means. It means that no matter, to his audience, no matter how many of the rituals you just nail perfectly. Excuse me, I know you said it's impossible, but do you realize I have never missed the Day of Atonement? I am at the tabernacle every Sabbath. I mean, please. So I'd say for, for most people, maybe, you know, they've got to try to have faith. But for me, no, he says there's no other power. It is impossible without faith. Which means that's really all you need. It's kind of like Chad's been reminding us lately. Jesus plus anything is nothing. If you think that's how you get into God's good graces, yes, I believe in Jesus, and now i got to go make it happen. Yes, I believe in Jesus, but do you know how many mistakes I've made? Yes, I believe in Jesus, but I wasn't going to tell anybody, but this, this one thing happened back when, you know, when I was a teenager. Well, yeah, but what if, what if something happens 10 years from now? Or, well, but I still got these questions, and there is no other power. It's not when you get your questions answered. It's not when you finally get your, your, your life perfect. It's not any of the ritual or anything else but faith. Believing him. Well, about what? Same verse. Stay right here. He says, by believing, okay, that he is, which is one of the fantastic no-brainers in the entire Bible. <laughs> like, it says to come to God and believe that he is. Well, who are you coming to if you don't believe that he is? Like it's, okay, God exists. But it makes sense. That's step one. Believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. I love this because I don't know about you, but if I, if I just speak for me and Dave, growing up, I would never have said this. It's not the kind of thing you say out loud. You don't write it down. You don't even realize you believe it. But probably most of the time, I believe God is and that he is a punisher. Because I'm always wondering if the other shoe is going to drop. And I'm, and I'm thinking, isn't that what the Bible's about? Isn't it like, here's all the things that he knows you did wrong? And ultimately what God is saying is, and if you don't stop it, you're going to hell. That's who God is, right? Well, the reality is, there's a lot in here about God's wrath. That's true. There's a lot in here about how destructive and dangerous and self-destructive the things that he calls sin is. Right? And we don't always want to believe him. And that's, that's what, like, confession, repentance, all those pieces is us saying, oh, God, you were right. And obedience matters. We'll, we'll see that straight from Hebrews. You'll, you'll never find the moment that God says, hey, this is what matters to me. This is what I want you to do. Or, or I mean, you know, whatever. We all make mistakes. I don't know. Whatever. You don't see that from God. You do see him say that he wants us to obey. He wants us to love others. He wants us to love him. And yet, I've been reading through Isaiah. I won't give you all the details, but it's like, Oh my word, this is painful to read. Followed by, unto us a child is born. Followed by, oh my word, this is painful to read. Followed by, there's going to come a branch from Jesse. David's son is going to sit on the throne and wait till you see how he redeems. And even the ones where it says, this is so painful to read, 
it keeps showing you how his purpose is to get them back. The God who wants to reconcile with his children. And then we saw just last week that when that moment happens, you come to, say, to God and say, I realize, God, I need forgiveness. It's not my ritual. It's not my behavior. It's not, I can't work my way to you. I need forgiveness, and I trust Jesus for it. And he says, ooh, I love that. And guess what? I have rewards for you. <laughs> it's the most amazing thing in Scripture when you recognize that God is not your punisher. He is your rewarder. And that he tells you, apart from me, you can do nothing. But stick with me and you'll bear a lot of fruit and it'll last forever. And then even though he just told you he has to do it through you, he also says, and I'm going to reward you for it. And that moment when you feel like, but God, I don't feel like I deserve reward. I mean, I couldn't even have done that without you. I mean, really, it was, it was God that did it. He says, yeah, 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 but we're having so much fun. You know, now that we're done playing trains, let's go get ice cream. <laughs> you know, it's the relationship that is built into this whole thing. That when you sit down and think about God, what draws you closer to him? If he's primarily a punisher or primarily a rewarder? Hebrews says, you want him to be pleased? You know what pleases God? That you have faith that he is and that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And so that's really the fourth thing that I want to give you today. By faith, diligently seek God. Diligently seek him. And I think if you're not sure, if you're not confident in Christ, then you hear this and you feel really bad about yesterday because you weren't that diligent and you probably should have tried hard. And you should, or you feel really nervous about tomorrow. What if I'm not diligent enough? Chill. Remember Hebrews chapter 6? He's a 20-ton anchor for your soul in the very presence of God. That's the elementary stuff. Like if you put your faith in Christ as your forgiver, you're saved. So let's move on. And what does it look like to live that out the way the elders did? To take that faith and put it into action. You and I both know you got to be diligent. It's true in every area of life. And I was thinking about this. If, if you think about it like relationship, you know, before I got married, I would diligently seek my wife. I put a lot of energy into Melissa to make sure that she knew that I cared about her and that I loved her and that we're going to have fun together. And then I know this is, I'm the only person this has ever happened to, but once you get married, then it's like, eh. oh yeah, I think we're supposed to still try to go on dates and stuff. Like life is busy and kids show up and you're out of energy. And Do you still diligently seek each other? Because the reality is, I mean, you know this if you're married, right? If you don't diligently seek the other person, I mean, technically you're still married, but it's not nearly as much fun. And, and that's the way I think you want to think about God. That you don't just want to say, hey, I said the prayer, I believe Jesus, thank goodness, and like, I don't know, I haven't really thought about him since last Sunday. Right? God's saying, diligently seek me, you are going to love it. This relationship is the best one you will ever have, but you got to lean in or you're going to miss out on it. And so it's not a guilt trip. It's, it's not a salvation thing. It's a hey, you want to see how good God is? Diligently seek this rewarder who loves you. And the last person that Hebrews 11 gives us today did exactly that. It's a man named Noah. And it says in verse 7 that by faith, Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household, 
by which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. I know that's like a run-on sentence if ever you've seen one, but that's what happens when you try to put four chapters of Genesis into one line. (laughs) So here's what I want to highlight for you. You go back, you read Genesis, it's it's about six through nine, you'll see Noah's story. You'll see his success, you'll see his failure. You see God characterize it as faith. But distinctly notice that it says Noah being divinely warned of things not yet seen. God spoke to Noah. Noah believed him. No one had ever seen a flood. No one had ever seen the rains come down. But Noah believed God and he put that into action. You know, I think myself and a lot of people, I I hear talk this way sometimes, like, I wish I could hear from God. I wish I knew what he was saying. And it's like, we go hunting for epiphanies. Like, if I just sit still long enough, like, something will just happen and I'll, I'll hear it. And I'm not saying that doesn't happen, but just my own personal experience. If you want to hear from God, like, if you wish you knew what he said, that's why he wrote it down. That's why he wrote it down. So on the mornings when I'm trying to pray, but I can't seem to focus, and this is going on, and that's going on, and I keep thinking about these things, it's like I wish I could hear something from God. Believe he is, and believe that he's a rewarder, and diligently seek him. That's true right now, whether I can focus and whether I get an epiphany or not. That's why it's so important to be in this book. Like, if you never listen to me again, but you read this book, good. And that's really what our equipping service, our equipping ministry is all about. We want to help you learn how to digest this book for yourself. That you can go home and self-feed. That if you wake up at 2 o'clock in the morning and you start reading something because you need something, because you're hurting, and you think, I probably shouldn't call Drew right now. You don't need me. Hopefully you're learning how how to chew on this book for yourself. To believe God's word and to put it into action. Right? And, and that's not a veiled reference to like somebody who called me at 2 a.m. Uh, we're here for you, okay? <laughs> Feel free to call me. Um, if my phone's on silent, I'll keep sleeping. So my point, though, is to get into this and let God speak. Chew on his word. Believe it like Noah did and put it into action. And notice that the main way it says he did that, he prepared an ark for the saving of his household. When no one else in his generation cared anything about God... Noah believed him and put it into action. It took him like a hundred years to build the ark. You go back and you read that and you're like, oh my goodness. Like longer than any normal person's entire life, he's just building the ark. Like hammer and nails, hammer and nails. This is real, right God? What do you do when you wake up every day, not for 365 days, but for a hundred years? 36,500 days. Man, my hands are sore from yesterday, but he said it's coming. We got to keep working. Come on, boys. And he brings his family into it. It says that by doing this, he provided for the saving of his household. So think about how your relationship with God creates an opportunity for your family. Of all the things to highlight about Noah, he picks this moment with the ark and specifically that it saved his family. And you and I both know that everybody has their own decisions to make. I want my kids to know God. I want them to have a relationship with him. I can't force that on them. 
But I wonder, if you want that for them, are you diligently seeking God? Like Noah did. I want my kids to know God. Do I spend time getting to know God? Do I look at my life to see where I could live it out? I saw an amazing example of this a couple of days ago. I was at a wedding Friday night for a, a buddy who's attended Horizon here for a few years. And his journey has just been incredible. You, you, you probably heard me tell a little bit of his story. Um, because I met Joe and his wife Tracy a few years ago at one of our exploring studies. And he was a guy who said, like, he'd been around church, but he has no idea what's in the Bible, but he's going to read the whole thing eventually. And then I just didn't see him anymore. And I realized much later, they were staying connected to people at Horizon, but Tracy had started battling cancer. And by the time I saw Joe again, it was because I was performing Tracy's funeral. And I thought, that's it. That's it for this guy. Like, that's going to be too much. He's going he's to get angry at God, and he's, he's never going to come back here again. But Joe made a choice to diligently seek God. Because Tracy had a strong faith. And she knew that even if the cancer took her, she was going to heaven. And Joe kept hearing people say, there's a way to see her again. <laughs> He's like, yeah, I know about heaven and stuff. But he decided as angry as he felt, if that was true, he wanted to know for sure. So he started reading. He started getting into Bible studies. He started diligently seeking if God really is who he says he is. If God is and if he really is the rewarder that he says he is. So the most amazing moment at the wedding the other night, because as this, this process has gone on, Joe has brought one of his sons, actually both of his sons, into Bible studies here at Horizon. He's engaged his daughters because one of them is still like struggles with, but I'm angry. How did dad go from angry at God to I love God so much I read the Bible all the time? Like, could I do that? And so at the wedding the other night, it was for his oldest daughter, the first of their kids to get married. And he had to do this speech um, like after the ceremony to kind of start off the, the party. So he tells a little funny story about Chris and Elizabeth and how they met. And, and as he leads into it, he talks a little bit about Tracy and what it means that she isn't here and how they're remembering her today. And then he says, with all of his family and all of his friends packed into this huge room and all the food's coming out and Joe's telling us, he says, but the most important thing today and I'm like, is these two people, right? He said, the most important thing today is that God loved you so much that he came down to earth as a human being and died for everything you've ever done wrong so that you can go to heaven too, just like Tracy did. So that you can keep celebrating with God forever, just like we're celebrating today. So let's raise our glasses to this couple it's like, man. So amazing how far his faith has come. And he would tell you, like, he doesn't belong in Hebrews 11 because he's made mistakes and he still has questions and he has ups and downs. I tell you what, God would put him in Hebrews 11 and say, by faith, Joe preached the gospel at a wedding. <laughs> so here's my encouragement for you whether you're grandparents or parents, you know, whether, whether you're just thinking about brothers or sisters, think about how your faith lived out creates that opportunity for your family to have a relationship with God too. I, I think that's what Noah is showing us. And at Horizon, we really want to help you do that. And so we've got a few things right in this season that have been just designed for that. And, and so you've heard us talk about these, these um, care supply bags 
We've got more of the brown bags out there. You can grab these. But the reason I wanted to mention this one today, which, by the way, you guys have already gathered a half ton of supplies for IPM. That is amazing. So keep it up and take your kids with you. This is the kind of thing that kids can get involved in. You go to the store with the brown bag and you just kind of scoop the shelf in and you go, now nah, bring your kids with you. Let them pick out the soap that smells good or the shampoo that looks funny or, or whatever it is and pack it into that bag. Have fun doing something active with your faith together. Another one is that in just a couple of weeks, we have a parent workshop that we're doing in an evening. And I would encourage you to check out the details for the parent workshop online. Because as I talked to Ryan this morning, he said essentially what that is, is to help you understand the mind of your child so you can engage the heart of your child. Say no more. Where's my phone? How do I register? The idea is we're trying to put tools in your hands, not only to help you grow in your faith, but to live that out with your kids. And just like Hebrews, I'll say, I don't have time to tell you anything else about all the good stuff going on down in East Station, all the stuff that's going on down the hallway, up the stairs, our students. I mean, the kind of students you saw singing up here today, because they're not just waiting till we're done. I mean, sometimes if I go long, they're waiting till we're done, but (laughs) they're not just waiting till we're done. They're engaging God too, all over this building, all week long. In fact, the, uh, the elementary have been doing fast track for the last couple of months. So if you pull up that PDF online and and you go to one of these pictures, you can see these in here that they have like nine little pictures representing the next part of of the Bible. Your fourth grader can probably walk you through that. My fifth grader summarized the entire Bible for our family over dinner for like the last six weeks by just using the pictures out of Fast Track. That's what this place is for. So my encouragement to you, you're never going to believe this. It's going to be right on the nose. Live by faith. If you want to put it another way, Act like you believe it. Don't just put it up here today, but when you walk out of here, live that out. And just know that God is pleased. Can I pray for you? Our Heavenly Father, I I am just so thankful that you delight in us, that you are pleased with us, that you enjoy us, that you speak a good testimony about us. Lord, sometimes we find it hard to even think that way about ourselves, let alone speak it. And so I thank you for speaking it over us. Thank you for Abel and Enoch and Noah. Thank you for the way that that they modeled these things for their families. And Lord, I just pray that as we go out from here today, we know that you go with us. Would you keep us mindful of your goodness to us and your love for us? In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, I would love to see you next week. You just need to know one thing, especially if you're sitting out in the tent on this chilly morning. Now that it's chilly, the tent is going to be closed. So starting next week, no services in the tent. But please continue to join us online or here in the chapel, and we'll see you next week. Thank you for coming.